the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by Ambassador Nikki Haley. Good morning, Madam Ambassador. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Good to have you. Good morning, Hugh. Great to be back home with you. You know, it's a little bit like coming to the Bermuda Triangle for the last couple of weeks. We had Governor DeSantis and Governor Christie in the last three weeks, and they're both gone. You're down to the final two. It's like the NC2A 64, the round of two. Are you feeling that way? Yeah, look, I mean, this is what we worked hard for. We started with, what, 13, 14 candidates, um, you know, in the race. I had 2%. We wanted to be strong out of Iowa. We came out with 20%. uh-oh. That's what we wanted. Sorry. <laughs> That's what we wanted, and we got that. So um, now we're trying to be stronger in New Hampshire before we head to South Carolina. So we feel very good. Uh, Governor, let me ask, are you committed to being in this race through at least the end of March, regardless of what happens in New Hampshire and South Carolina? We have Super Tuesday on March 5th, 16 states, another nine in the next two weeks. And I asked that of Governor DeSantis last week, and he told me he was going to definitely be in through the end of March, and he's gone now. What do you say? Well, I mean, look, we have always said that we're taking it one state at a time, but I, we have definite plans of going, you know, right into South Carolina and right into Super Tuesday. You know, I did something that the other candidates didn't do. I didn't blow through my money. I actually saved it. And I saved it and made sure that we focused on just making sure that we had enough to be on TV in each state. And we have done that. And we are now, we have enough to be on TV in South Carolina, and we're going to do it right, and then we're going to keep taking it one step at a time. And so, look, I mean, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've only had one state vote so far, and I think if you look, there were, you know, 56,000 people in a state of 3 million voted for Donald Trump. Um, That's by no means a coronation. Now we're going to, you know, New Hampshire. They're going to vote tomorrow, which is exciting, and then we're going to go on to my sweet state of South Carolina, and they're going to vote, and then we're going to go on further. And I think you know, that's democracy. That's exactly what makes America um, strong. And that's what we're going to continue to focus on. But we feel very good about where we are. We're very confident about you, going into the long haul. And that's what we're going to do. You answered correctly in terms of having money. And that's what I wanted to hear. You've got enough money to, to continue on through March and build momentum no matter what happens. Hugh, I'm an accountant. And I've, so, you know, every state, I am always making sure we have enough money for the next state, not for the one we're in, for the next one. So I have been hoarding my cash and saving it. You know, we haven't had the big buses. We didn't do all the private flights during the summer and everything like everybody else did. We stayed in a lot of garden inns and residence inns, and that's because the only thing that matters when you're spending your money is touching a voter. And you touch a voter, you know, through TV, through radio, um, and in person. And so that's what we've done. We've been very smart with how we spend it, and we're spending every campaign dollar wisely. I want to frame this question fairly. If you don't win, will you endorse the former president? And if you win, do you expect the former president to endorse you? Well, I have always said that I was going to support the Republican nominee because anybody is better 
than a President Kamala Harris. I stand by that, but I have every intention to win this race. And are you ruling out completely no labels? I have ruled. I have never talked to them. I've never been interested in that. I am a Republican um, and through and through, and I intend to go and, and run on the Republican Party ticket and win on the Republican Party ticket. That was my understanding. Now, Ambassador, the next question that I was going to ask at the NBC Salem debate in Miami, we ran out of time, and I've saved it because I want to ask it of you, and I, I remember exactly how I was going to phrase it. I believe you are the first mill spouse to ever run for the presidency. And a mill spouse is a different thing that a lot of people won't understand. It's a spouse of a military member. I'm right about that. Do you get support from them on the road from that community because you are of that community? And while I ask that, how is your husband doing on his deployment? Thank you. Yes. I mean, the number of military families that show up to our events. I mean, it's we have a bond. There's a bond with military families. We know the sacrifice. We know the pride of our loved ones, but we also know it's hard. It is very hard for the spouses. It's very hard for the member who serves. It's hard for the kids that are involved in it. And so there's a bond that we have. And um, and I'm proud of each and every one, whether it's a veteran who's served and retired or whether it's a family who's still active. Um, you know, we, I, I just, all I can say is it's an, it's an amazing special bond that I'm proud to have. And yes, my husband, he is doing well. He is in an area that is, um, quite sensitive or active at this point, um, but it, that's pretty much every place in the world. So, um, but they're doing great and I'm proud of him. I, it, I really, he's like my right arm. It's hard not having him here. And I think for him, it's hard for him not to be here um, going through this with me, but um, I love and support him and he loves and supports me. And so that's what gets us through it. I make, if we have time, I'll come back to this, but I want to ask now about with a husband deployed, this, this really matters, I think on a different level for you. American troops were under attack in the Middle East. Al-Assad, the base in Iraq, was shelled. There was a serious injury. No one was KIA, but a serious injury. Two SEALs died. They were declared dead this weekend after a 10-day search. What do you make of President Biden's response to the attacks on our troops? And why did we send SEALs instead of just blowing up the ship uh, in in the Red Sea uh, where they were? I guess it wasn't the Red Sea, where they were lost. Why, why not just blow up the ship with the Iranian arms on it? I mean, look, I, the only thing I can do to explain what's happening with Biden is he's just scared of his own shadow. He is yet to make a decision. He's gotten everything wrong. And I'm not saying that as a as someone who's running against him for president. I'm saying look at everything from Afghanistan to how that happened, but how he had a whole year before Russia invaded Ukraine. He did nothing. He did nothing to push back on China. The idea that we have how many, it's well over 140 strikes on our men and women in Iraq and Syria, as a president, not only is your job to protect Americans, you've got to have the backs of your military. You know, as a military spouse, I want to know that our commander-in-chief is taking care of them. If they're sacrificing for us, what are you doing to fight for them? And he's not doing it. And it's because he's more worried about upsetting Iran and Russia and China than he is about protecting our American military. And what they need to do, and what they should have done a long time ago, is he made a terrible mistake when he lifted those sanctions on Iran. We worked really hard um, when I was in the administration trying to make sure that we got out of the Iran deal, that we kept those sanctions high, that we held it accountable, because we knew every dollar that went to Iran went to a terrorist proxy, whether it was Hamas or Hezbollah or Houthis or any of those proxies in Iraq and Syria. We knew that's what it did. No good came out of it. And not only did he lift the sanctions, 
He's allowed China to spend billions of dollars importing oil from Iran, and now we're seeing them pay the you know have, pay the price of it. And so the first thing you got to do is you got to get the sanctions back on. The second thing we need to do is we need to take out whatever facilities they are using to put the, to do those strikes with. And then you go further and you take out these Iran military leaders that are making these decisions. You do that and you punch hard, they get back on their heels. But right now they smell blood in the water. They smell weakness. And they're going to keep on doing this until you give them a good punch in the face and let them know that you're not putting up with it anymore. Former President Trump ordered the killing of Soleimani when he landed in Iraq. Should a similar action now follow from the Biden administration on Iranian targets operating outside of Iran? You have to go after the people making these decisions to kill Americans. And that is Soleimani was a good hit at that time. He was somebody who was really the orchestrator of everything that was happening. And by doing that, it left Iran completely flat-footed. And it took their breath away. That's exactly what you have to do, is you have to go after the people making these decisions. You look even what Israel's doing with Hamas. They're going after the people who are making the decisions on the strikes there. That's what leaders do. You go to the heart of the problem. You don't go play around the edges and play footsie. You go to the heart of the problem, and you make sure you do whatever it takes to prevent war and protect Americans. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Madam Ambassador, do you think Iran wants a regional war, Khamenei, or the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps? Because they are as aggressive as they have been since Ronald Reagan smashed them in the late 80s with Operation Praying Mantis. Do you think they want a war? They are very aware that they would not do well in a war. I think they're very aware of all that. But what they do want, and they've always wanted, is they want us out of the Middle East. They don't want us there. They want to control more of the oil. They want to make sure that they have a strength in the region and that they have power. And so they want to do enough to push us out, to scare us off. That's been their goal from the very beginning. But they know that they can't handle a war with us. That's why it doesn't make sense why Biden's not punching them once, because they know that once we wake up and once we punch, then they retreat. And that is yet to happen in all these years, even with all the military who've been wounded and, and died from this. Now, uh, when we come back to, from break, uh, Madam Ambassador, I believe this race has been shaped by the indictments, by the invasion on 10-7, by the incompetence of the Biden administration, by the inflation that we're living with, and by the appeasement that you just talked about. And we'll cover all of those. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm talking with Ambassador Haley. Ambassador Haley, by the way, do you think the Fed is going to lower rates between now and the election? I mean, look, I think that the problem is the Fed has been so political up until now 
they never should have allowed all that cash to flow into America. If they were really trying to take care of a strong dollar, they would have told the president it was a bad idea. And then now we've seen them play politics. I don't trust them. Uh, Governor Joe Cahill of News Nation tweeted out on Saturday, quote, Haley has been sharpening her attacks against former President Trump in the final days of her campaign. Multiple times last night and again today, Haley suggested Trump is too old and questioned his mental competency. That was Saturday at uh, 3.50 p.m. yesterday on Face the Nation. You also judged this. Are you arguing that the former president is mentally incompetent? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that this is just common sense. You, if you have two men running for president that are in their 80s, you are going to get what you get when you've got two men running in their 80s. Look at Joe Biden two years ago. He is very much diminished from when he started because this job is hard. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of late nights. You've got to make some tough decisions and it wears on you. And so, you know, this is tough if you're 50 years old. It's even tougher if you're 80 years old because you can't do as much as you could when you were younger. That's a fact. Any doctor will tell you that. And so what I'm saying is when he recently, I was asked about these gaffes that he had where he for some reason thought that I prevented security from going to the Capitol on January 6th. And he said it three and four times and went on for this whole thing about how I was responsible. And the fact that he got confused and didn't didn't acknowledge the fact that it was actually Nancy Pelosi he was supposed to be talking about than me, or the fact that he said that, you know, Biden's going to get us into World War II, which I'm assuming he meant World War III. It doesn't mean he's mentally incompetent. It means that when you have someone that is at that age, you are going to see that kind of decline. And look at how fast it declined with Biden. But think about what America's saying. Seventy percent of Americans don't want Trump or Biden. And it's not because it's personal. It's because they want a new generational leader. We look at Congress. It's the most privileged nursing home in the country. We're looking at either having more of the same or going forward with a new generation. That's why you see so many young people excited about having somebody else is because they don't want to put their hands, their lives and their futures in the hands of people. Ma Madam Ambassador, do you think President Biden is infirm? I think he's frail, and I use the word infirm. I don't think he's got dementia or Alzheimer. I'm not a doctor. I just think he's frail. Do you think President Biden is in, too infirm to do this job? I am very concerned about Joe Biden. It is why I've always said that the one we're actually running against is Kamala Harris, because a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala Harris. And, I, you know, you can look back. I saw it. They were showing a clip recently of him in the debate when he was running. And Hugh, to see the difference in him just from then to now is, I mean, just truly like- Do you think former President Trump is more fit than President Biden is, relatively speaking? Yeah, I think we can see that. Like you can see that he is, you know, he's not moving slow like Biden. He's not, you know, mumbling his words like Biden. But he is still someone who's gonna be 80. And I think that that's the part that you have to look at is, I mean, really, is America going to settle for that? But it's more than that, Hugh. It's not just about age. Look at the fact that the majority of Americans disprove of Biden and disprove of Trump. The majority of Americans see that both of these presidents put us trillions of dollars in debt, and our kids are never going to forgive them for it. Both of these presidents had focused on talking about the investigations that are against their families, their hurt feelings, and vendettas that they want to get taken care of. We need someone with no drama, no vendettas, 
that's focused on the future. We've got to get our inflation down and get our economy back on track and get that wasteful spending out of the way. We've got to get our kids reading again and go back to the basics on education. We have to secure our border with no more excuses. And we've got to bring law and order back to our country. And we've got to take these enemies on head to head and do everything we can to prevent war. And that's not something you could do if you're distracted. And that's not something if you're doing, if you're slowing down, because we can't afford that right now. Ambassador Ailey, I want to talk about the indictments, the invasion, and the incompetence. Um, Dan Balls in the Washington Post wrote yesterday, quote, the indictments consolidated Trump's support rather than fracturing it. This was the biggest of the game changers. Do you agree with that, that the uh, indictments in Manhattan, Georgia, and the two sets of indictments by Jack Smith turned the momentum towards the former president? Yeah, I think that's probably, that's pretty accurate, because I think you look at the fact that he wasn't doing um, as strongly as he would have been otherwise until all of a sudden we saw these, these you know, court cases come against him. And some have been very political, some not. He's going to have to defend himself. But think about this, Hugh. Right now, the day before the election, he's in court. And you look at all the days he's going to be in court, rightly or wrongly, whether he should be there. It doesn't matter. The fact that he's going to be in court instead of being able to focus on what to do to get our country going forward, that's what this is about. Look, this is not personal for me. I voted for Donald Trump twice. I was proud to serve America in his administration. I agree with a lot of his policies. But I'm doing this because I don't want my kids to live like this. And I'm worried about the future. I know what these enemies can do because I dealt with Russia, China, and Iran every day. I'm an accountant, and I see the fact that our economy in two years will be paying more money on interest than we will on our defense budget. I look at the fact that the average home buyer in America now is 49 years old. The American dream is leaving our kids. We don't have time to be distracted. All right, I want to ask about the the broader world. Uh, Yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, there was a story on the Israel war of survival for uh, its self-preservation. Quote, Biden administration officials have begun to scale down their expectations for the war to Hamas's degradation as a security threat from its utter destruction. I don't really care what the Biden administration's expectations are. I think they're trying to weaken our allies' resolve, Madam Ambassador. What do you think? I think it's disgusting. I mean, I think it's absolutely disgusting. I mean, don't go in there and say and do all this bluster and say you're going to help a friend and then get bored and say, I want to get out. I don't like this anymore. That's not what being a friend is. But more than that, that's not how you prevent war. Israel's always been the tip of the spear when it comes to defeating terrorism. The fact that he's giving up already, knowing that Iran is doing that to our troops in Iraq and Syria, knowing that Hezbollah is continuing to get aggressive, knowing that Hamas has said they're going to go back and do this again, it really defies logic, but it shows how tired Biden is. He gets tired easily of the issues that are there to protect Americans. That's what I'm most concerned about. I told someone the one thing that keeps me up at night is what happens between now and Election Day. And what happens during a transition. Let's close there, Madam Ambassador. The Chinese Communist Party is watching all of this. Do you think they have a target list? Are you afraid that they might do something beyond Taiwan? I know you're worried about Taiwan, but beyond Taiwan because we are at a, a low point of American national power and prestige? They have always wanted to dominate 
the global supply chain. They've always wanted to dominate the conversation in the world. They've always wanted to be the ultimate superpower. They've spent years trying to plan for this. But they had a major setback with the elections in Taiwan. That was a win for democracy. That was a win for freedom. And it was a punch in the face to them at a time where they were doing a lot of intimidation by drones, by misinformation and everything else. But we can't take our eyes off of China. And that's what Joe Biden's doing. He's sticking his head in the sand. And we've got to start waking up and realizing we have to treat them the way they treat us. They see us as an enemy. We've got to look at them as an enemy. Very last question, Madam Ambassador. There are negotiations underway about the border. I am against any deal that does not include construction of 900 miles of wall. Are you insisting on wall on the border? I don't just want the wall. I want the wall. I want 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents. I want to defund sanctuary cities. I want to go back to remain in Mexico. And instead of catch and release, we need to go to catch and deport. This is unbelievable that this is the United States of America and we're allowing this to happen. There's it, We're acting like it's September 10th, and we better remember what September 12th felt like. It only takes one. Uh, Madam Ambassador, thank you for your time. Keep coming back. Good luck tomorrow. And I know you're going to work right through the finish line of the tape and then on to South Carolina and Super Tuesday. Thank you for joining me. Keep coming back. Thanks. Go to NikkiHaley.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.